tonight I'd like to talk about the happiness of renunciation. And it seems that in our culture, in our Western culture, we may not at least, at first, associate these two words together. Happiness and renunciation don't seem to go very well together. And to illustrate this, just a few months ago, in the New Yorker in the magazine, there was a cartoon strip that was shown, and that pretty much sums up the initial feeling that we may have, or that people that haven't started a path of renunciation like this one may feel. It's about a little character called Hogar. And he's called Hogar the Horrible. And in the first frame, we see Hogar climbing up a very steep mountain. And in the second frame, we see a very wise old sage with a long white beard sitting on the top of the mountain. And Hogar sees him and he says, Oh, great sage, please teach me the secret to happiness. And in the third frame, the sage says, Well, the secret to happiness is simplicity, self-restraint, and renunciation. And how does Hogarth react? He pauses and he looks around and he says, Is there anybody else that I can talk to here? (laughs) And maybe we feel like that at times. (laughs) There's a sense that we want to do the journey, but do we want it all? And so tonight I'd like maybe to brighten up and lighten up a little bit the journey for us to explain that maybe there's a misunderstanding around the meaning of renunciation. Because truly here, at least in the Buddhist path, It is absolutely not a kind of punishment that we force on ourselves or that we think that we need to renounce because we've done something bad and therefore we need to deprive ourselves of something, which often is a felt sense that at least I have from my past education where you sense that there's a sense of badness or a feeling of unworthiness and that we don't want to go into renunciation because it brings up the feeling of punishment that we have felt. In the teachings here, renunciation is spoken of as one of the links that is born out of the second step of the Eightfold Path which is, as you know, there is first wise understanding and then there's wise or right intention. And the intention of renunciation awakens one to non-greed. So it's simply this intention of renouncing that leads one to non-greed as unwise intention may lead one to greed. And that 
non-greed leads one further, awakens in ourselves the sense of generosity. A great sense of just letting go, relinquishment. So therefore, it is said here, that is a very wholesome quality, a state of mind that needs to be cultivated. And in fact, it is one of the ten paramis, the ten perfections, that plays an important role just because it has the capacity to allow us to not cling. And not clinging clearly here means not clinging to what obstructs, hinders the inherent purity of the mind. And so we let go of these states that hurt and that bring more suffering. Letting go of greed, of hatred, and of delusion. Now we sense here the satisfaction of letting go when there is a certain kind of beneficial satisfaction that comes just from the relief of being able to welcome experience, to welcome ourselves just as we are. And on our journey here, we closely look at this process over and over again to feel, to become really aware of how this process works in the sense of clinging. Now, it may be for us that clinging takes a certain form, a pattern that we really know very well for ourselves. It can be clinging to sense desire or to a pattern of habitual tendency of being asceptive with thoughts. It can be that we hold on to the past, to a particular story of our past, and that comes in again and again. The mind is often filled with events from the past that we don't need to carry here in this present moment. And when we can sense the weight of our history, our personality, well, there's already a sense that there's an ability to move forward, move forward into relinquishment of what is gone, is gone. And in that sense, the result is a giving away. Now, it's important that we understand that we're not creating or adding any story to help ourselves to renounce. But much more, we discover a greater sense of clarity when we are able to just welcome the experience of this moment. And it's interesting to notice how we're getting caught. Every step we do here, being in the sitting or in the walking, enables us to hold on or to let go. We have a choice. 
And I think that to have the motivation to really place in our minds when we begin our day, to know what it is that we're going to choose between the motivation to really see clearly what is rather than choosing the path of habit. And even if we get caught then in the day, and we will many, many times, still that seed of wholesome motivation, of wholesome intention, is in the background. And the more we remember, the more the motivation will just come back sooner than we think. We'll remember. Because we move out of the habit as we are enabling ourselves to see how we get caught. This allows for a greater sense of spaciousness already to journey and to have a possibility of something other than what we know so well about ourselves. There's a weight. We carry on this weight of luggage, extra luggage often, that we really don't need. That's not helpful. And I like the analogy of luggage, (laughs) being a great traveler, um, going here and there. It's very interesting to notice how in maybe our houses or in some places, there is this manifestation of our inner luggage that is manifesting outside. It may be books that we're holding on to or a lot of stuff that we have in our homes or in the basement, you know, can't get away. Can't get it without needing to hold on. And for me, it's the luggage. And so with the years, I've begun to see how much I really need and how much I take that I never use. And yes, my luggage has been a little lighter, yet there still can be a lot of improvement. And seeing this over and over again, can we live with a little less, whatever it is for us? And it'll be something which will incline the mind, the heart, to move into an environment of greater space. Of course, this environment of retreat is perfect for allowing us to enable to see how it is that maybe it's difficult to renounce. There's so much out there that we don't have here and that we usually have. I was doing in the very early 80s, my very first three-month retreat at IMS Next Door Retreat Center. And going for a three-month retreat is a big deal, and especially if it's your first retreat, long-term retreat. And believe it or not, my luggage never arrived. And I hoped, you know, for some days that 
the luggage would come. And it wasn't letting go of a little. This was letting go of everything I had. (laughs) So it required to go through, of course, all the mind states of hopelessness and fear and anger at the airline company and doing all these phone calls and getting very busy trying to sort this out until I had a moment of wisdom, of clarity in the mind. And I said, well, you know, what are you here for? Live this experience to be your highest teaching of letting go. There was nothing else that I could do anyway. And this was a form of renunciation that really required for me a great letting go. And I thought to myself, I thought, really, this is a teaching. After all, I came to let go. Haven't we come to let go? This is really the motivation. And it became one of the greatest teachings of my life. A teaching in living in simplicity. Just being grateful to what was offered to me. And on this Dharma planet, we're not alone. Thank goodness there are spiritual friends. And a lot of sympathy was shown to me in those moments. And it was just wonderful to benefit from other people's generosity and to notice how renunciation exactly works with non-greed in the mind and being able to accept to welcome the generosity of others. And after a while, I'd gone back to my room after 10 days of just wearing other people's clothes and really feeling quite grateful. And there'd be still (laughs) layers of clothes behind my door when I'd come back from my walking meditation because of their ongoing generosity. And it became too much. (laughs) There was just the sense of, oh, this is really too much. How can I let people know that it's enough? Yet the sense of joy at other people's generosity was greater. And so there is an inner capacity to feel this joy and to be okay with the situation as it is. When we're able to experience the reality of what is in those moments when we just are faced with situations where there is no other possibility. Now the idea was one of hopelessness. I'm never going to be able to do this three months without my stuff. But that was the thought in the mind, the idea. The reality was something completely different that brought this beautiful living experience of sharing. So inner wisdom comes forth. The Buddha expressed that renunciation comes from within, from inside. 
It's inner wisdom that is expressed when it's a true renunciation. We understand. And this understanding comes very gradually. First, there comes an understanding when, exactly like I did, we begin with whatever manifests. We don't need absolutely to hang on to what it is that we think we need. We don't need to hang on. And that allows for renunciation to support our practice in a very real way. There's a letting go that comes about. And then it leads to the true heart's release at the end of non-clinging. It's kind of the natural response, like I had of the heart that's joyful, because it feels the ease of how light it is to not need to cling. And at times, there is a great capacity for that movement from the first step to the last, from not needing to hang on to really appreciate being joyful. And it's not the end of the path. We may have had this moments in the day where we're so grateful that we're here in the simplicity of life of just nurturing this quality of truth of life and understanding ourselves deeper. This nourishment comes from within. Sometimes there is that sense of spiritual urge, which is the proximate cause for renunciation to arise. That spiritual urge really manifests in times when there is difficulty and we know what is essential in our life. Everything else becomes very superficial. And other times, this urge may simply not be present or not strong enough. And then, these are the times when our practice becomes very challenging. where we'll find our way only by grabbing on more and more to what is painful. And the habitual tendencies then of greed or aversion, of delusion, just manifest more and more and we get entangled. Now this is not particular to our time. The Buddha himself experienced this. Ananda went to see the Buddha and expressed to him the difficulty he had with renunciation. And the Buddha says, so it is, Ananda, so it is. Even I myself, before my awakening, when I was still an awakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is a good thing. Renunciation is good. Seclusion is good. 
But my heart didn't leap up at renunciation, didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause? What is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it at peace? And then the thought occurred, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation and haven't familiarized with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation and doesn't grow confident. Then the thought occurred to me, if, I having, if having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, I were to pursue that theme, then I would understand the reward of renunciation and familiarize with it, then there is a true possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation. And at a later time, I have seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, and I understood the reward of renunciation, and familiarized with it, and then my heart leaped confident. And that's exactly the path of understanding. See how wisdom brings in the possibility of exploration of the dangers of sensual pleasures and seeing the rewards of renunciation. Now, what enables that movement from getting caught and lost into habitual tendencies to seeing clearly, to be able to have that quality of wisdom? It's mindfulness with investigation that allows us to see the process of grasping. And the sense of investigation here means to notice how the mind tends towards greed, towards the familiarity of the known, of the habitual path that it knows so well. And so it needs to investigate What is the mood of the mind? What is the reaction here? What is the resistance to move forward, to letting go? And to be able to understand that really enables one to realize that the neediness that comes from the sense of I wanting some gratification of one sort or another It's just a thought. It's just a momentary thought, a bubble in the mind that expresses itself as, I need. I want. I can't go without it. And to see this movement of the mind so clearly from the space of awareness, of mindfulness, and then investigating how it manifests, This is the way to move out from the path of greed. Now, it's often the case that we do that, and we're able on retreat to see the movement of that next thing that we think will bring what we're needing, or how we're manipulating or controlling 
our breath. The next breath being maybe the perfect breath that I want to have, much better than the one that was present in the last sitting? Or is it in the next sitting that I'm going to finally find that peace that I had three days ago? There's this movement of wanting to get back something that we think has been lost. And that just nurtures the movement of grasping because it's seeking for something which is not in the present moment. And that is bringing struggle in the mind. Struggle just by the fact that it's wanting something that is not present. So do we have preferences? And noticing our preferences. How we like calm and we don't like restlessness. Restlessness is fine. Can we renounce the wanting of calm? If mindfulness is present, if there's awareness, whatever our experience, it can lighten up the possibility of wisdom and of non-clinging, being it outwardly or inwardly, there is no need for a specific experience. And that's what we begin to understand. After having seeked so long for one specific experience that will do it for us, there's a possibility for the mind to not want to make choices. It renounces the preference and therefore sometimes allows for the space to not control. But in those moments, there's a sense of, ooh, maybe some fear will arise because it's unknown. That bigger space where the self isn't present so much there is a sense of greater space which brings forth or the idea of, oh, nothing is happening right now, and there isn't the excitement of the wanting mind being busy with something, or there is the sense of really sensing that we're moving into unknown territory which brings about fear. Because the reference point of I has just moved out of the way for just that moment. But we forget that mindfulness, that awareness, is present. And so the illusion of losing ourselves is just the illusion of losing the sense of self. Our path is one of discovery and exploration. And we can explore when we stop doing, when we stop that busyness. And there's so many subtle ways that we keep on being busy. 
because there's the fear of non-doing, of merging into the unknown and not knowing what it will bring. So there is a need for an abandonment of what is known. And the Buddha spoke about renunciation being the way to rest from doing. There's a rest in that sense of stopping to strive and stopping to accomplish. Stopping to get something out of the meditation, just like we would in wanting to get things in our life. Now it's very interesting that renunciation comes from that rest. Often we think that renunciation comes when we impose on the mind the sense of, oh, I should renounce. And that should, or when we impose and we force ourselves to stop accomplishing, to stop wanting, is born out of a sense of aversion, which is not at all wisdom. So we can't force the sense of renunciation, of letting go, with willpower, with a mind that says, I should really renounce now. But much more bring in that sensitivity that will allow us to receive experience, to be receptive. And therefore then there won't be so much contraction there won't be so much repression in our relationship to what is happening. Achan Amaro, who you probably know well, is a monk that is linked to the uh, Thai forest tradition. And in his book, Small Boat, Great Mountain, He describes years of striving and of difficulty with renunciation. And how it's possible, and it's important that we see for ourselves how we get busy, even in a spiritual way, in our spiritual life. He says, the faster you hurry, the slower you go. It's easy to get very busy with spiritual life, even driven and obsessive. During the first 10 years, 10 years of my monastic life, I became a somewhat fanatical monk. This might sound like an oxymoron, but it is by no means impossible. I was trying to do everything 120%. I would get up, super early in the morning and do all sorts of ascetic practices, all kinds of special pujas and such like. I wasn't even lying down. I didn't lie down to sleep for about three years. Finally, I realized I had far too many things going. There was no sense of any internal spaciousness throughout the day. 
I was desperately busy with the meditation. During that time, my life was jammed full. I was always half fretful and fussy. I couldn't even eat or walk across the courtyard without it being a thing. Finally, I had to ask myself, what am I doing this? Is this bringing peace? Since this life is supposed to be lived for peace, for realization, for freedom, why are my days so busy? And he said, I should have gotten the message long before. I used to sit flat on the floor, the use of a zafu being a sign of weakness in my eyes. Well, one of the nuns was getting so fed up watching me fall asleep during every sitting that she came up to me and asked, Could I offer a cushion to you, Achan? Thank you very much. I don't need it. She replied, I think you do. Eventually, I went to Achan Sumedho and said, I've decided to give up all my ascetic practices. I'm just going to follow the ordinary routine and do everything absolutely normally. It was the first time I saw my teacher get excited. At last, was his response. I thought he was going to say, oh well, if you must. But he was waiting for me to realize that it wasn't the amount of stuff that I did, the hours that I put in on the cushion, or the number of prayers that I recited, or how strictly I kept all the rules. It was much more about embodying the spirit of non-becoming, of non-striving in everything I did it then dawned on me that the importance of non-striving was something that my teacher had been teaching for so many years and I hadn't heard it. So I think this is really a lesson for ourselves to take in the message that We're not here to do anything, but much more to allow an attitude of receptivity, of acceptance, of letting go, a form of renunciation that will truly bring peace and joy, a deliverance from the state of wanting. And it's hard maybe at times, to see that the motivation of our busyness in our spiritual practice is just another form of greed. And that should not be the driving force. Because otherwise, there's no end to our clinging. This greed will pull us around endlessly This is why wisdom can come in and we can see that there's a greater happiness that can be born from allowing, from accepting, from sensing in the heart, from listening within. This is from the Dhammapada, from the Buddha's words. 
He says, if you see a greater happiness that comes from forsaking a lesser happiness, be willing to forsake the lesser happiness for the sake of the greater one. And that's the path that we are offered to take. The Buddha says, when one is able to let go, one is simply unburdened in the heart. The burden of the heart is no longer present because we lose the greed for pleasure and see how letting go is peacefulness. There's nothing that you need to hold on to and there's nothing that you need to push away. Nothing that we need to hold on to, nothing that we need to push away. That is all there is The whole of the teaching is to allow everything to manifest and pass away. And this is our work here. The Buddha spoke of three levels of renunciation. The first level is clearly the one that is most manifest, and that's the outer renunciation. It's working at the level of knowing for ourselves where we cling in regard to sense desire and how we can simplify our days here, even if there's nothing that's offered. We can still find ways that we do get entangled in complicating our days here. Or we get entangled in comfort zones. And because there isn't so much of a form for us here, the structure, the schedule is yours to make, we can choose. And in so many ways, What are the choices that we make? Can we see, maybe in regard to food? And this is not that we need absolutely to be on eight precepts. There's a great beauty in giving us the possibility to live by the eight precepts just to simplify our life here. But maybe for some of us, for health reasons, this is not possible. But can we, in a way, just moderate our amount of food? There's so good desserts. How much do we lean on on the dessert? A day with dessert, a day without dessert. Thank goodness that there are days without dessert so that we can see for ourselves how does it feel? Do we take a second helping? How do we feel when we've eaten too much? Just to notice. Or maybe it's the inclination 
go drink a cup of tea so many times during the day? Where is the temptation for you? Maybe it's not at all around practicing letting go. Maybe around sleep, the amount that you sleep. As an experiment, just find out for yourself. Ask yourself the question, where is it that I could manifest a little more of letting go and not from a place of creating tension or anxiety from a place of should, but just from a place of inner wisdom where one can sense the possibility of feeling what it feels to not go for that hit, whatever the hit may be. And this does not need to be rigid. It can come from, and it will come, at times, from a place of a peaceful heart. A heart that's just satisfied with what is. And the decision then will be one of even stronger motivation or dedication to renounce. This will also allow us, when we go back into our world, into the big world out there, to carry on very clearly a sense of responsibility that we have in regard to saving energy, to saving the natural resources. More and more are we taking some awareness of there's an end to the amount of water that is on this earth or oil. And it becomes a sense of priority for us that we are contributing in our small way to take care in regard to what is happening on this planet. So in small ways, we know then what is appropriate. Suzuki Roshi says, renunciation is not getting rid of the things of this world. And it's true, it's not getting rid of anything. It's just accepting that they go away, that they leave. There's a greater sense of acceptance and not at all a sense of pushing away, which would be a form of aversion. The second level of renunciation is called inner renunciation. And that is letting go of the endless stories, imaginary creations of who I am, who I think I am, who I think the others are, what the others think of me. All these judgments stories that we build up, that we create in the space of awareness, in the space of the mind of consciousness, if they end, and when they end, thank goodness, they're moments of peace, 
from the stories? Can we sense that calmness and just see the process of mind and body unfolding, changing experiences, seeing the nature of that thought rather than getting entangled in it. And here again, it's so important to notice clearly the mood of the mind that we're meditating with. What is the quality of the mind that we're practicing with? To see the mind states. Is it full of greed? What is the relationship? Right in this moment, do we identify with some experience? Do we have some judgment? Are we bored? What's happening? And are we able to see how attachment is created from the sense of creating a story. Just one thought after another thought. That's all the story is. The third level called absolute renunciation is of course the highest type of renunciation and probably what we would say most difficult. Yet it does come along very naturally in our path as we journey from direct experience. This is renouncing the false view of self. And we begin to acknowledge this when there's greater spaciousness. These are subtle levels of letting go. And that letting go is just the sense of there isn't in the mind the notion of self or a belief that experiencing anything is happening to anyone. It's the nature of greed, to feel greed. It's the nature of aversion, to feel aversive. It's the nature of calm, to experience calm. It doesn't belong to anyone. There isn't any separate thing that it is attached to. And the Buddha said over and over again, nothing is to be clung to as mine or I, because there isn't one. What we're offering here to ourselves is this sense of liberating ourselves from the belief that there is a self. And that is the greatest of the liberation of non-clinging. And this can happen any moment. It's not to undervalue that it's never happening in our practice. It's just a moment of peace. Ultimately, the burden of self is lifted whenever 
there is non-grasping. And this approves the tendency over and over again as we plant the seed of wisdom. More and more, there's a growing sense of a possibility of moving away very naturally, very spontaneously from the tendency to grasp. That sense of release, whenever you feel it, is it. Releasing, allowing to be, allowing to go, whatever it is in our experience. And that's the natural response of the heart to accept life, to accept all situations of life. Even when they're suffering, even when there's a suffering where we think that we need to struggle even more to end the suffering, there's a possibility of being able then to see that the suffering just comes from the attachment. And so that's when we sense the reward of renunciation, a reward that is the taste of freedom itself. And we live from that space more and more. And that means that we just let go of the thought of past. We let go of the projection into the future and are able to welcome what comes in the present. We live from that space in the present. And present becomes a way of life. There's less of a need to run away from the present moment. And this is what our journey offers so inspiring in each moment that there's a sense of this from inner experience. The Buddha says, who has turned to renunciation, turned to detachment of the mind from clinging, is filled with all-embracing love and just freed from the thirsting Afterlife. The only thing that changes when we stop thirsting after life is the natural response of the heart, which is all embracing love. I'd like to close with a poem from Atisha, which is a Tibetan great Tibetan master. He says, the greatest achievement is selflessness. The greatest worth is self-mastery. The greatest quality is seeking to serve others. The greatest precept is continuity of awareness. The greatest medicine is the emptiness of everything. The greatest action 
is not conforming with the world's way. The greatest magic is transmuting our passions. The greatest generosity is non-attachment. The greatest goodness is a peaceful mind. The greatest patience is humility. The greatest effort is not being concerned with results. The greatest meditation is a mind that lets go. And the greatest wisdom is seeing through the appearances. Let's sit for just a second. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.